welcome to Disenfranchised. It's a podcast, a podcast about movies, movies that did not spawn the sequels they were desperately hoping to spawn. And we're here to talk about them and talk about maybe why. Um, my name is Stephen Foxworthy. I'm one of your hosts. And that guy over there who was only supposed to blow the bloody doors off is my co-host, Brett Wright. How you doing, Brett? I'm doing all right. I drove over here in my fancy Mini Cooper. It was pretty neat. Yeah, retro style, right? Yeah, without a single bit of music. BMW crap. Yeah, not a single bit of music to be found. <laughs> yeah, until you tried to mount it up onto the uh, onto the bus, right? Yes. Then there was a lot of music that I didn't really understand. Oh well, it's it's all Cockney rhyming slang, and we are Americans, sir. Yeah, that's the crux of this whole thing, isn't it? Yeah, that it. Yes, it is. Uh, and what? What exactly? I mean, we're we're talking at length here about something that it seems pretty nonsensical to me, Brett. What are we talking about? What movie are we covering today? We are talking about the 1969 British comedy caper film, The Italian Job. The Italian Job from 1969, starring among others Michael Caine, Noel Coward, and Mister. Benny Hill, he of the Yakety Sax uh, persuasion. Who else has got is have we got in this movie? Oh, let me see. Uh, Tony Beckley, uh, Ralph Valone, uh, maybe it's Rafe Valone, Margaret Bly. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's 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 a British cast because guess what? It's a British movie. I mean, there's a couple of uh, Italian actors in there, but it's mostly British cast because this is mostly a British movie. Released in 1969, the the end of the swinging 60s. Brett, what is your exposure to uh, to this movie? What was your level of familiarity before this episode? And uh, what what did you know about it? What did you think you knew about it? Uh, I mostly know it from the remake. Not gonna lie, uh, I knew I you know you hear about this movie as like sort of an iconic movie of like, yeah. the 60s 70s era. Um, you know, and it's got Michael Caine in it. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Um, and you know, you, you hear about it in passing, but I've never seen it, and that's about it. Okay. And Mini I, Coopers. Mini Coopers. Right. Mini Coopers kind of a staple of this movie. Uh, I think they brought back the Mini Cooper. I can confirm this at another time, but I think they brought back the Mini Cooper for the 2003 remake. They did. Um, yeah, like it was they released they re-release it to the general public because of that movie. So wild. It's it's such an iconic piece of the original that they released it again when they were making a new one. So that's weird to me, but you know. Uh I had I mean I did not see this movie first. Uh this was not uh, a movie that I grew up with. I did, however, my family had the 2003 remake uh, pretty much on rotation though. Uh, because it's an F. Gary Gray action movie. My dad loves action movies. So uh, it was, and it was on, as I recall, cable a lot. So it was just kind of one of those that got, you know, whenever it was on TNT, we'd be flipping through and be like, oh, Italian job. We, we like this one. We just stop and watch it. So in the, in the post-collegiate years when I was still living at home, this was, uh, this was in pretty heavy rotation for sure. Yeah, so so what you're saying, really, what we're both saying, is that in a couple of weeks when we cover the remake, it's going to be a way more interesting episode, way more context for us. I mean, in terms of personal context, absolutely. I've got some, you know, context for the actual the '60s film. I've I've done my homework per usual for this one. Uh, no, I did see this film for the first time a couple of years ago. 
Um, so I, I had seen this movie before I saw it for this episode and I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun, but I see the thing is I haven't seen the remake in, um, in a few years, uh, in several years, as a matter of fact. So I'm very curious to see if that one holds up even a little bit, but that's uh, a subject for another time because today we are talking about the 1969 Italian job starring the man himself, Michael Caine. You know, and and the great British man Noel Coward, the 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 wacky '60s British comedian Benny Hill. I mean, the cast in this is just just those three names, kind of insane. Just because you've got three very disparate kinds of uh, British actors and and facets of 1960s British dumb, but I think that was on some level probably very intentional uh, for this movie, and we can get into that. A little bit later, but first, Brett, we're just jumping right into it today. None of this uh, superfluous talking around the issue. We need to get to the plot, which we do as we ever do in 60 seconds or less, or your podcast is free. I don't know why I like that joke so much, but it works and I like it and I'm going to keep doing it because I think it's funny. Man, it's a good bit. Hey, you know, and we don't have bits on this podcast. No, what are you talking about? We don't do that. No bits. And speaking of not having any bits on this podcast, we're going to break out our old friend, the coin of justice, which we will flip with relish to decide which of us will be recounting the plot of this film, 1969's The Italian Job, in 60 seconds or less. Brett, call it in the air. We're going to break uh, tradition and go with heads. Which is a shame because it is tails. Curses. Isn't that always how it goes? And the streak is over. Uh, and I can't tell you that I'm not happy about it because I kind of am. So, Brett, I have 60 seconds on the clock. Uh, I am ready to start it whenever you are ready to begin your recount of the plot of The Italian Job from 1969 in 60 seconds. All right, man. Let, let's go. All right. Then your time, sir, starts now. Okay, so we start with uh, Charlie Croker, uh, Michael Caine's character, who was just getting released from prison. Um, he finds out that uh, his friend uh, was recently killed by the Italian mafia, um, and the buddy had a big plan to steal four million in gold um, from Switzerland. I know from Turin and escaped to Switzerland. Um, so he gets a team together. Uh, uh, there's the montage of them testing out the Mini Coopers and preparing for the job. Then they go to Italy and they get threatened by the mafia. Um, and uh, they pull off the heist and it's uh, really, you know, for a car chase movie, it's a really boring car chase. And then, uh, um, then they, I'm, I missed 60 or 30, sorry, 10 seconds. Uh, what the hell, man? Uh, <laughs> it's okay. So then they, they escape on their bus and then there's, they're caught, they're trapped on the bus and there's a cliffhanger, ends on a cliffhanger, literally. And that's time. Good job, buddy. Sorry about that. I was just, you were doing such a good job and I was like into it that I, I just completely forgot to check the time. I'm sorry. Man. Because I'm but like I'm dude, running out great, I'm, running, I'm running out of plot here, and I'm like I haven't even heard thirty seconds yet. That was so great. I'm sorry. I just uh, you were doing such a great job, and you like nailed it. You ended right on on sixty. That was that was magnificent, dude. That was fantastic. That's that may be the best plot in sixty seconds any of us has ever done. Look, man, I've been practicing. I can tell you. I mean, during that whole streak where I was uh, fumbling my way through, you were just like in there just rattling them off in your head i guess that's 
That's yeah. some pretty impressive stuff. Oh, one thing I, I meant to bring up in the, um, uh, the personal history section, my actual introduction to this movie, even before the remake was released, was listening to the comedy of Eddie Izzard, the, uh, the British comedian. Uh, she had a bit in her Dress to Kill special. I think, was it Dress to Kill or was it Glorious? One of her specials, um, about the Italian job and, um, specifically it wasn't dressed to kill. It was probably glorious. Maybe one of the other ones. I don't remember them off the top of my head. Apologies, uh, about mice making plans and like the best laid plans of mice and men off go awry. And so she's like, well, when have you ever seen a mouse making a plan? And then recounts the entire plot of the Italian job, but with mice trying to steal cheese. So we're going to put all the cheese into the back of the minis. It, it's, it's, it's great special i wish i remembered the name that of the special that it came from um because it's really funny um but she does like all the bits like this your car pretty car and all like all that your blouse sitting in the back of the motors and all that like the whole only spouse to blow the bloody doors off basically she runs through the entire um the entire film just with mice and it's it's really funny i thought i'm not familiar with that i don't think i, I know it's not dressed to kill i'm pretty familiar with dressed to kill um, yeah, I, I know it's not. Dress to Kill's got the Great Escape bit in it, where she goes through like the the latter half of of the Great Escape, like ride the motorcycle, Egypt, Venezuela, Beirut, Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Ciao. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So I I will figure out which one it is here very shortly. But um, so Italian job. I get the feeling based on uh, kind of what you've said so far that you were uh, a little overwhelmed by this picture. Is that accurate? Uh, over Overwhelmed. I would not say overwhelmed. Um, right. Underwhelmed. Underwhelmed. Severely, uh, severely underwhelmed. I barely Steven, slept. I've, I've worked a full shift. I'm tired. Forgive Steve, me. Steven, I fell asleep during this movie. That's how under, that's how underwhelmed oh. I was. Oh, it hurts my heart. I know. I felt super bad, but like it, it held my attention for, most of it and then like it got to the car chase and like or like you know the heist it got to the heist and i was like expecting you know a heist and man that heist was boring like there was like like i mentioned there's no music and i was like why is there no music during what is supposed to be the most exciting part of this movie i mean it honestly almost feels like an italian travelogue um, and this movie did get a lot of financing from the Italian government, uh, a lot of assistance actually from the Italian government. Like the Italian government basically just forked over so much money in order to get them to film here uh, in in Turin. It actually is all filmed on location, and all the stuff in Turin is filmed in Turin. Uh, they actually, against the wishes of the Italian government, shut down traffic in Turin so the traffic jams you see in this movie in the latter half of this movie are actual real traffic jams created by both the film crew and the local mafia who which was actually assisting with the production from what I've read uh, and basically shut down all traffic around Turin for the day and so the the motorists the Italian motorists that you see getting really pissed off and yelling epithets and screaming uh those are actual italians who are very pissed at traffic being stopped very 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 funny fascinating uh, yeah right good stuff but the italian government actually uh they like donated 
uh, so Fiat in particular, the, the corporation Fiat donated all the cars with the exception of the Mini Coopers. In fact, offered them more money if they would replace the Mini Coopers with Fiats. It's like all the cars in the movies would be Fiat. Like the uh, during the chase when they pull into the Fiat lot and like park the cars and the police cars go whizzing by and then they pull out and drive away, despite being the only Mini Coopers in the entire parking lot. Like they they let them like work in and around that the entire Fiat facility. There's like a rooftop track that they were on and allowed to uh, to drive on. I mean, they basically got unfettered access to just about everywhere they wanted to go in and around Turin. And the uh, the production actually didn't use Fiat's for the British cars because the main theme of this movie is British exceptionalism, us versus them. So the main getaway cars had to be British because the Brits are better than the Italians. That's literally the whole point of this movie is is pulling one over on the rest of Europe because Britain is better. That's probably why I didn't really uh, get it. I think that's the best way to describe it is I, I did not get this movie because I, I, I really like plenty of other uh, British films from this era. Mm-hmm. And, but like, and I was going into this expecting it to be this, you know, classic British film that I've heard so much about. And I, yeah, man, I was surprised that I, found it as boring as I did. And I think part of it is that American audiences did not grow up with this the way I think British audiences did. For the British audiences, this movie is everywhere. I mean, this movie is, this movie is like the Shawshank Redemption in terms of just how often it shows up on on television in Great Britain, from my understanding. Uh, it's it's ubiquitous. It's a part of the infrastructure in in England and in, and in Great Britain. So just the idea that, you know, this, this movie is iconic over there, but it didn't really do well over here, like at all, largely because the, the studio that was distributing it over here didn't market it properly. Uh, if you've seen the, the American poster for this movie, it's a, it's a mafioso uh, dressed all in black with a giant machine gun sitting intimidatingly in a chair with sunglasses and a fedora and a naked woman sitting with her back to the the, the audience looking at the poster with a map drawn on her back. Nowhere does this, uh, does either of these images appear anywhere in this film. Uh, in fact, it's uh, according to the ever reliable IMDb trivia, when Michael Caine showed up in America and saw the poster, he got so mad uh, that he jumped in a, a plane and flew back to England. I don't blame him honestly. Cause yeah, that's just really bad, man. That's terrible. But so, I mean, the movie never gained traction over here. So, I mean, I don't know if you're the Anglophile that I am, but you you get into English culture and you read about, you know, the the iconic films and you read about this one and you're like, oh, okay, great. We, we just didn't have a, a spot for it. Like, it, it, and it's it's so incredibly British. I mean, like the, the song that you mentioned earlier, which has a name, it is actually, this is as good a time as any to bring up that the entire, uh, all the music for this film was written by the great Quincy Jones. Uh, he of uh, he was the producer on uh, Thriller, like the quintessential Michael Jackson producer. Um, just an absolutely uh, fantastic music producer, iconic music producer. The song is called Get a Bloom and Move On. It is sung by the cast of this film, and it is almost entirely 
Cockney rhyming slang. Uh, so there are lyrics, and I I did not bother to write any of them down. <laughs> but there was one there was one piece of Cockney rhyming slang that I actually was able to decipher. I don't know, despite being uh, essentially a, an Anglophile, I don't know much about Cockney rhyming slang, like at all. Well, sure. I mean, who who does outside of the people who speak it? Uh, so here's here's uh, a sample. Go wash your German bands, which I'm assuming is um, Cockney rhyming slang for hands. Your boat race too. Your face. Comb your barnet fair. We've got a lot to do. So hair. No bib around your Gregory Peck today. A. So Gregory Peck, obviously Cockney rhyming slang for neck. I mean, that entire song is just Cockney rhyming slang. And if you don't get it, then you have no idea what they're singing about until they get to the chorus of this is a self-preservation society, which I mean, that song is catchy as all hell. It's great. Yeah, I didn't need to understand it to know that it was a catchy song. It's it's a certified banger and uh, it should be the outro music for this episode for sure. Uh, sure, if I can find it. We'll we'll find it. How we'll readily it. available is that song on the internet? I can't imagine it's that easily findable. It's it's at least I mean I typed in lyrics on Google and they had a whole page dedicated to it. So I'm assuming we can find it somewhere. So yeah, again, I guess you know that's my American perspective. Like it's you know yeah, the internet is a global phenomenon, Brad. It's not just yeah. America, right? And there are parts of this world uh, where uh, this is uh, this is actually uh, quite a popular film. Yeah, which I, I could understand that. So, but yeah, uh, I I mean I I have a good time with this. It's not as fast paced as I would um, as I would hope, but honestly, once the cars start driving around, I'm having a good time. Music or no, I'm having a good time. Once the cars start, once once they basically manage to get the gold off the truck and into honestly, once they start taking the truck, the armored truck, I'm I'm locked in. Unfortunately, that's like over halfway through the movie. So you've got this very long buildup, which um, you kind of need. I mean, most heist films have a fairly long buildup until you get to the, the heist itself. But this buildup feels a little extra long, even though, honestly, this is not a particularly long movie. It's just that a lot happens in like the last half hour. Yeah, I found myself enjoying the buildup more than the heist, though, as, as previously mentioned. Sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, there were parts of the heist that I thought were interesting, but the beginning of it, I didn't really, I thought it was slow. You mean when they're taking the armored truck? Yeah, when they're taking the truck. Um, But like, you know, dodging, there's a lot of times when you can't really even tell they're being chased. Yeah. And so it's like, well, they're just driving around, doing, driving, doing fancy things with their cars. And then, oh, oh. Like they are being chased. Here yeah, comes. Then, then the cops come. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's man. I don't know. Maybe I'm spoiled. Maybe I'm spoiled by. I think you are. This is, we should say, the earliest movie we've ever covered on this podcast, like by 10 years. Cause the earliest, the, the next earliest film we've covered is 1979's Dracula. So, I mean, this is by a pretty wide margin the oldest movie we've covered and probably will be for quite some time. If, if we're being honest, uh, unless we, you know, decide to do uh, Master of the Air or, you know, the Bible in the beginning, one of those like really early ones. But like, yeah, this is is probably one of the the earliest films that we've ever covered. So 
us being, of course, you know, older on the older end of millennials, but millennials nonetheless, uh, we are spoiled by the the 30 years of film history that kind of came after this to where, you know, our heyday was in the mid to late 90s. Um, whereas where this movie was pretty much we'd learned and gleaned all the lessons from it that we could and kind of tweaked and improved the formula a little bit. Yeah, I think this might be the first time that I've experienced this sort of thing. Um, Because, you know, I have um, a friend of mine who's 10 years younger than me, and I've I've shown him movies like Alien and whatnot, and and he doesn't get it because Mm -hmm. he didn't grow up with it. He's seen all the movies that were influenced by it already. Right. Um, So, you know, it's hard to understand that, but then, then this happens. And this is the first time I've experienced this. We're like, well, I've seen everything that's been influenced by this movie already. So the original is just kind of like boring. Right. And I, I mean, I have, I've had similar experiences with my sister-in-law. I showed her John Carpenter's The Thing and she's like, eh, it's fine. And she's in her like early twenties right now. She's a, a total zoomer, but she's, you know, she's, eh, it wasn't that scary. I was like, okay, the dude's chest opens up and bites the hands off of the doctor trying to, uh, defibrillate him. How is that not scary to you? I knew it was coming. It terrified me the first time I saw this movie. So, I mean, how, how can you, how can you, just, you know, zoomers and their attitude. Sure. With their avocado toast. Damn kids these days. Hey, that's a millennial thing. I had avocado toast this morning. I actually had egg in the whole avocado toast this morning, as I told you, and it was delicious. Sure. You'd think sure. the egg and the avocado together would be too rich. No, it was perfect. It was really good. Well, good. Highly recommend to anyone anyone curious about such a thing. But neither here, my breakfast is neither here nor there. But I mean, and and for me, particularly as someone who likes older films and watches them with some degree of regularity when I'm able to, it's easy to miss the forest for the trees and not see how influential this kind of film was at the time. Um, and and you know, look at the heist films that preceded this one. A car chase this long and this involved, we probably didn't see another one that long or involved until like, I don't know, Walter Hill's The Driver or the Steve McQueen film Bullet, both of which are 70s films. So, I mean, you know, you understanding the context, I think, is important. Another thing I think this film does really well is, and I mentioned this kind of briefly earlier, is kind of the the different types of British personas that it puts forward you've got Noel Coward as uh, Bridger Noel Coward the guy who pretty much defined what it meant to be British for a certain generation of people just by existing just by being himself pretty much defined Britishness for an entire generation of people Uh, so you know he's the the career criminal he's in prison the whole time very stuffy very proper you are using my toilet you know very prim and proper and then you've got Michael Caine, who's very much the kind of new wave of British establishment, um, you know, for the kids, um, the, you know, because the whole 60s thing is counterculture. It's, you know, raging against the machine, man, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that occurred in a lot of different places, not just in America. Uh, there was a lot of that going on in England as well. Uh, where do you think all the coolest bands from the 60s came from? England. The, you got the Stones and the Beatles and a bunch of other people. I don't know. Think uh, Herman's Hermits and 
I'm I'm now blanking on all the oldies bands I used to listen to growing up. I mean, up. I think you got most of them, man. I got three of them. That's not most of them. That's there were a the, lot more. It's the important ones. Oh, someone's gonna. I'm just gonna. Us I'm gonna piss comments. off. I'm gonna piss off all the British listeners right now. Do we even have yeah. any of those? Uh, we might. I don't know. I think we got a few. If if you if you are a listener from uh, Great Britain or the UK. Get at us on Twitter at DisenfranchPod or shoot us an email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to hear from you. And and uh, if you can also uh, give us the uh, the Cockney rhyming slang uh, definite or uh, breakdown for uh, get a bloom and move on, we would appreciate that as well. Um, particularly the lyric, drop your plates of meat right up on the seat. I, uh, that one perplexes me. Most of the rest of them I could probably figure out based on context. But that one, I, I don't know what that is. So please define for us. But and then and then you've got Benny Hill, who's this like great 60s comedian, like the, the great 60s comedian of British television. Well, him and the Pythons, I would say. So basically this movie and Flying Circus coming out right around the same time. So, I mean, it's definitely got that kind of comedic sensibility. And, and that kind of wacky off the wall comedy was pretty standard in great britain not everyone has the not everyone in america i should say has the um ability to quote unquote get british humor uh, i think it's quite funny i also like very dry wit and dry humor uh, so i thought this movie was hilarious but uh i think the benny hill stuff was probably the most ob- overtly comedic of the entire film uh with his um with his uh chubby chasing persona yeah, but uh, yeah. I I mean I, I yeah. I don't. I didn't find the movie hilarious. I definitely I fall somewhere in between between your average American that doesn't get British humor and you, you know, somebody that loves the stuff. I'm definitely in between. Like, sure, I get a lot of it, um, but at the same time, I don't. So I I, I I chuckled at some parts of this movie. You know, I I found some of it funny, <laughs> um, and then some of it went over my head. Did you laugh at the iconic line? You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. I mean, yes, that 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 did get a slight chuckle out of me, indeed. Because he blows up the entire truck, you see. Right. And what he was supposed to do was only what he was only supposed to do only blow the bloody doors off. Blow the bloody, correct, right, and that's that's where the humor lies in that particular moment. Um, sure. I don't know, man. I I was having a good time with this. This is I I I enjoy this film. I. Uh, now, is it is it my favorite British film of the era? No, but did it, did I have a good did I enjoy it? Did I have a good time with it? Yeah, yeah, I had a good time. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say I had a lot of fun. Um, I didn't you hate fall it. Asleep. I mean, you well, took a nap. I, I, I did, but that doesn't mean I hated it. Like, look, in in sort of my defense slash the movie's defense, um, I was watching this probably later at night than I should have been. Um, Sure. You know, the coffee had worn off by then. Um, and I was, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was tired. Uh, so it's probably not entirely the movie's fault. Um, so please, British people, don't hold that against me. Um, but it's it's certainly it's certainly not. British pop- people or just fans of this movie in general. In general, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's not it's not Popeye. Uh, I'm not sitting here like <laughs> it's still it still boggles my mind that you hated Popeye, dude. Look, man, it's gonna be the but benchmark. We went, we went really. That's your that's your low bar. 
Oh, yeah. No, I, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, I gave Van Helsing half a star, so I guess Van Helsing is the bar. You did give Van Helsing half a star, okay. Um, but but say, like, you liked this better than... You liked like, Gods of Egypt better than Popeye? Oh, man, that's a tough decision. Don't make me choose. Like, did you like Artemis Fowl more than you liked Popeye? Yeah, that that's actually a pretty solid decision. I, I feel, yeah. Oh, really? I feel like you were a lot more negative on Artemis Fowl than you were on Popeye. Maybe it's just because I was piling on and being negative too, but yeah, no, I uh, yeah, there were things I could find that I liked about Artemis Fowl. Oof, oof, that hurts my heart. Sorry, man. Uh, and and of course, as as you remember from our Popeye episode, there was not a single thing you liked about that movie. Uh, no, I mean that's not true. I gave it one star, and a half a star was be- was for the stuff I liked. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Van Helsing had no redeeming value whatsoever. Yeah, I, I mean, I of course I really liked Popeye, but and I would say I like Popeye more than I like this movie. But I liked Popeye more than definitely, certainly more than you did. But well, yeah, you you love Popeye, so Popeye's great. Let's not get bogged down in previous ratings. What I'm saying is, this movie's fine. Um. I could give you my rating now. It seems a little early to be throwing our ratings out. Maybe we it got is. some other stuff I mean, to talk about. Sure, sure. But uh, you know, this this isn't going to get a bad rating out of me. Okay, I am, and I mean, I I recognize that this movie has problems. I would say probably the biggest problem with, that I alluded to earlier is, for me anyway, is the pacing of the thing. Like it's it's fairly slow paced um, during through through the whole of it. So it's it's tough to really get into um for me anyway i i thought so but um once it gets going like i said toward the end there that's when i'm having a really good time um i love the mafia angle all of that uh let's talk about the ending in particular um because this the ending of this movie i think is it's the one part i was not prepared for when i watched this for the first time and it made me kind of sit up and go, wait, that's how this movie ends. Like it, it, cause it's kind of insane. So as you, as you recap, so they, they pull off the heist, they get away with it. They escape on a, a coach bus. They load all of the mini Coopers onto the back of the coach bus while, while it's driving down the road, while everyone's driving down the road to the, to the tune of get, get a bloom and move on. They unload all the gold and then they, as they're going through the Alps on the winding road through the Alps, they start chucking the cars out the back of the coach so that they're basically rolling down the Italian hills and all of the cars, you see them rolling down the hills and exploding. Which man, you got to feel bad for the Italian Alps uh, throughout this entire movie. Just so many cars rolling down hills and exploding, just chucking cars down hills. there's at least five at least five probably more because they only chuck one of the three getaway cars down right well they do all three of the minis there's the the lamborghini at the beginning and then there's the only one of the three that they're driving into turin and gets chucked over the cliff right that was two of them was it two i i could have sworn they just crushed two and then crushed the third and tossed it over that might have been man i don't remember at least five perhaps more but at least five cars rolling down a hill. Only a couple of them explode. 
but like it's it's so fun and you know they're doing it practically you know these are actual real cars that they are crushing and tossing over cliffs and it kind of makes the whole thing great like you're just kind of you're you love to see it truly you do uh it's the same reason that we love to see the giant car pile up in the blues brothers because you know they're using actual real cars to pull that off yeah you you love you love practical effects period end of story i mean i especially particularly when we compare them to like the visual the the computer effects that we saw in like van helsing a couple weeks back um you know i i for one i i'm always a proponent of practical effects and if i can get them in a movie so much the better man i want you know practical give give make let it actually happen remove the strings digitally if you have to but show me something smashing into something else real life um all for it so that's and it's since it's 1969 you're yeah of course you you know computer effects not i mean they there's a computer in this movie that computer is not capable of effects like we see in any movie so god no yeah that computer oof yeah, we're still probably about 15 years away, I think, from computer effects even being used peripherally in movies. So um, it's we've, we've still got a ways to go. Uh, maybe less than that, maybe closer to like 12, but still ways to go. But uh, so they're chucking the, the minis out the back of the, the coach as they're rounding these corners so that they fall down the cliffs and explode. And then they take like everyone's kind of standing and moving about in the back of the coach. And they're getting kind of tossed from side to side as they round the very sharp turns through the Alps and end up, the bus ends up swinging out over a cliff. And so it's like perched precariously. The gold is on the end toward the doors and all the criminals are hunched over on one end. Then Michael Caine slowly crawls out as everyone kind of tries to stabilize, slowly crawls out and tries to figure out how to get the gold back. And the last line of the movie is him turning around and going, all right, lads, I've got an idea. And then we do this beautiful helicopter shot of the, the bus just hanging over the edge of the cliff. And that's the movie. Like it literally ends on a cliffhanger. So you can't tell me they weren't trying to make a sequel to this thing. Cause that's how it ends. Different ending from the book it's based on apparently, but yeah, this is, they absolutely ended on a cliffhanger. And I have the sequel plans that we'll talk to talk about here in a second, but I think, honestly, I think the ending kind of makes the whole movie uh, personally. Like I, I think this is a fantastic ending and such a fun way to kind of flip the script on a heist movie because they don't get away with it, but at the same time, they're not caught either. They're not brought to justice. Yeah. I'll be honest. Like during, most of the near as we got to the end of the heist, I was like, okay, how do they not get away with it? Because I, I definitely got this feeling that, like, okay, something was going to happen and they weren't going to get away with it. Right. Um, but I wasn't expecting it to be that way. Uh, and I wasn't expecting such an abrupt ending of the movie. I'm like, okay, they're going to figure out a way to get out of this and then that'll right. be the end of the movie. Exactly. So, I mean, but, yeah, oh. look. Props to that. Props to that. That that actually made me sit up, wake up a little bit, and and go, okay. Sucks it had to end so soon after that, but sure. I mean, I I like ambiguous endings to a degree. Um, there are some 
sometimes an ambiguous ending will just make me go, oh, screw you. But like I mentioned it earlier, John Carpenter's The Thing, one of the all-time great ambiguous endings of all time where you've got, you know, the entire station's destroyed. They're in the middle of Antarctica. One of them might be the monster, but we don't know which one. It's great. It's fantastic. I love, and and that's the end of the movie. Just two guys standing there staring at each other. And this movie, very much the same way. You've got an entire crew of criminals, probably like close to a dozen criminals, uh, perched on the edge of a cliff, trying to save their the goal that they've worked so hard to get this entire movie uh, and find a way to save it and not die all at the same time. And uh, I think that's fantastic. I think that's great. Yeah, no, honestly, it, it is a really good ending. You know, at first I was like, man, that's how it ends. Really? I mean, it's more, I think that's more so because I knew there wasn't a sequel. Sure. Like, this is where the story ends. Um, I, and outside of the thing, like you mentioned, I don't really like ambiguous endings. Um, okay. I like definitive endings. It, it works for the thing because that's what the thing is. Like, it's sure. it, the ending stays true to the entire theme of that movie, and that just makes it better. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, otherwise, not really a fan. Um, okay. So, yeah, I didn't really like it. I mean, I did and I didn't, right? So, like, it, it's interesting, and I can appreciate it, like, back then, how that was probably, like, that was probably one of the first. I did actually look this up, by the way, because I was wondering, is this the is this where the term cliffhanger ending comes from? It's not, uh, but um, it is one of the first ones. Okay, so, I, now you're gonna have to explain where twist, where cliffhanger ending comes from, because now I'm curious on that one. Okay, so actually, the the etymology of the term cliffhanger, um, while like cliffhanger endings have been a thing since medieval era, um, the term cliffhanger came around after uh, the serialized version of Thomas Hardy's A Pair of Blue Eyes from 1872 and three. Okay, I honestly was wondering if it was like a serial serialized thing. Um, because a lot of those, at least the serial films or serialized storytelling, you'd have to end on, you know, a suspenseful moment to get people to come back. So hanging from a cliff doesn't get more suspenseful than that. No, which is literally where it came from. The main character was left hanging from a cliff at the end of an, uh, one of the serials. So there you go. There you go. Just like the heroes of this movie. Uh, so apparently this film was supposed to lead to a sequel called The Brazilian Job. And would feature uh, basically they manage to get out, but the gold falls down the cliff to where the mafia is waiting below to gather the gold. Uh, so then the sequel is them trying to get their money back from the mafia is, is essentially what the sequel to this film would have looked like. There was also, I have heard uh, the original ending of the book this was based on. Uh, they actually do get away with it. They do bring it back to Bridger and Bridger tells them, great, now put it back where you got it. Okay, that's an interesting, the, both yeah. of those are interesting premises for a sequel. Sure. Um, so, th- so I mean, two very different endings, um, but yeah, there you go. So that's that's kind of how it was supposed to happen. Ultimately, it didn't happen. Uh, the reason why, and I, the numbers, the website we use, and I think I mentioned this last week, only goes back a certain point. So we don't have any information on domestic box office for the Italian job, but the international box office was only $62,000. So did not make a lot of the box office, didn't do much at all here in the States uh, worth mentioning due to the, the poor marketing, as we mentioned before. 
the tomatometer score on this one on Rotten Tomatoes is an 83% uh, based on a total of 29 critic reviews. The critics' consensus, The Italian Job, is a wildly fun romp that epitomizes the height of Britannia style. Uh, it gets a 70 on Metacritic based on 10 critic reviews. And it has a 3.5 on uh, The Italian Job, or on, uh, on The Italian Job has a 3.5 on Letterboxd. Good Lord, Stephen. And that is exactly what I gave it, Brett, is a 3.5. Uh, what did you end up rating this film out of five? Uh, so I, I'm close. I gave it a three. Okay. I had a feeling that might have been where you landed based on kind of what you were talking about earlier. But yeah, I mean, look, it's it's good. It's fun. It's it's a British heist movie. I will be anxious to revisit the the sequel uh, or the, not the sequel, the remake here shortly to see how it holds up because uh, as I mentioned, I have not seen it in a number of years. So I will be, uh, I'll be curious to see how that, that holds up. Um, but yeah, Italian job, a uh, movie we're generally favorable on, I suppose. Yeah. And also I didn't know it was based on a book. So I'm going to check out that book. Cause that sounds like a good time. Yeah. Uh, a, but, uh, let me see if I can get the information on the book it was based on at least that was based on the the research that i did it was based on a book it was not based on a book but there was a novelization of the film that included the original all right take it back where you came from ending from bridger oh uh, okay okay so that's that's what it was that, that was my mistake um, so it was the novelization of the film but a, again features a very very different ending and i think the original ending was probably changed so that they didn't get away with it because there was like a standards and practices kind of thing that the criminals couldn't get away with it at the end. That It's fairly common, fairly standard uh, for a lot of older films, actually. Uh, but this is also the last feature film ever uh, of Noel Coward. Uh, he dies uh, a few years after this movie comes out, or, or maybe not even a few years, maybe just you know a short time after this comes out. He is actually the director, Peter Collinson's godfather, interestingly enough. So this is... Collinson put him in this movie to, to pay homage and respect to his godfather, Noel Coward. So, but yeah, this was his, his final film role. Um, and, you know, I, I think his character in this is very fun, very different from the Bridger that we'll see in the remake for sure. Yeah. I don't, I barely remember the remake, even though I've seen it a few times. So. I've seen it. I've seen it so many times that I, I remember it very well, <laughs> very well indeed. No, I imagine it's probably completely different almost. So I'm looking, it's, I'm looking yeah, it's a completely different film. The only difference is there's a heist and it's uh, they use Mini Coopers. Honestly, the main heist of the movie doesn't even take place in Italy. Wow. All right. Well, yeah. I look forward to watching that again then. Yeah, yeah. It'll be it'll be a good one. And like we said, just to give you a sneak peek, we'll be doing that in a couple of weeks. We got something different planned for next week, but in a couple of weeks, we will be back with the 20, 2003 Gary, F. Gary Gray Italian job. So... Look forward to that. And then we can do some real legit side-by-side -side comparisons of these two movies. It's very rare that there there's a remake of a movie that was supposed to be a franchise starter that is also itself supposed to be a franchise starter. Uh, I think another example of that is actually the movie we're covering next week. Um, uh, the, the other one that I can think of, I'm sure there are other examples, but, but yeah, two movies that did not spawn a franchise uh, create... Uh, remakes that are also supposed to start franchises and don't so yeah that'll be that'll be a good time for sure we love to see it honestly i mean you hate to see it but we love to see it because that's what our podcast is about 
content baby <laughs> um so yeah so I, I is there anything else uh of or related or pertaining to uh the italian job that we've missed i mean look guys i know there's there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about maybe should talk about. neither brett nor i are car guys um my dad's a car guy we could have him on to talk about this movie he's he was he was alive in the 60s maybe we should uh, get him on for the remake he does like the remake i i don't i here i don't think you want my dad on this podcast he'd be like i don't know i like it it's fun what do you want like that's i mean it, 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 nuanced opinion i love my father but nuanced opinions not necessarily right. um they just you know this he's a he's a boomer it's 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 a thing it's fine that's um, fine my dad's the same way it's okay it's i think it's a generational thing maybe i don't know at any rate look that's that's what we got for this week for you uh maybe our shortest episode ever hey clock set your watch by it folks uh we'll <laughs> we'll we'll see um we promise next week's will be longer i think we've got a guest next week hopefully if that all pans out it should but yeah, you know. look they, they can't all be two hour long star wars epics okay and so far none of them have been no i think we've come close to two hours maybe once or twice but uh i think league of extraordinary gentlemen is probably our second longest episode if i'm remembering that correctly i think so yeah this one's bite-sized we'll this one it yeah it's 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 a short episode sometimes sometimes you just you just want a short episode you just want to be able to like digest it and and get on with your day uh, as, as Harrison's dad would say, go out and do something with your life. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, so I guess, I guess that's, that's all we have for this episode. Um, so uh, this has been disenfranchised. You can find us on the social medias. We are, as we mentioned last week on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook at disenfranchpod on all of them. Uh, and it's pretty much just me running those now. So swing on over, say hi, I'll engage with you. You can send us an email disenfranchpod at gmail.com and let us know what failed franchise starter you would like to see us cover in 2021. And we will be taking suggestions and probably implementing a number of those. If you write in and tell us Uh, we've already committed to doing uh, buckaroo bonsai for Tucker. So we will at least get that one in, in 2021. Um, But we're committed to doing at least one more to the first person that emails us and tells us what they want to see. So do that please uh please. you can find me Stephen foxworthy one of your co-hosts on twitter and instagram and letterboxd at chewy walrus uh brett uh where can we find you on social media you can mostly find me on letterboxd i promise i'm going to start updating it more really i really am solemn bow i'll, I'll, I'll believe more. it when i see it i know uh and then that's it really that's all and and where what's your handle on letterboxd oh yeah uh gunslinger fire there you go. <laughs> In case this is the first episode anyone is listening to. Sure. Um, I don't know why. I mean, Hopefully maybe, not. Maybe they're Italian job fans. And if so, I'm sorry. I, I'm really sorry we didn't do right by this movie. I don't know. We yeah. liked it. I mean, we liked it. And it turns out maybe Americans probably shouldn't be talking about this movie that much. Maybe. We, maybe we don't it. have as much context. We don't have as much love for it. I mean, I, I am a bit of an Anglophile, but again, this is a car movie and I'm not a car guy. I'm just not, never have been. Uh, so, you know, we'll revisit that theme again in two weeks when we cover another car movie, uh, the Italian job. So yeah, that'll be fun. So for, I'm Stephen Foxworthy, for Brett Wright and myself, you were only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Hashtag bloody doors off. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>